This morning, we have Brother Paul Miguel who will bring God's message to us. And before he comes up here, may I invite everyone to please join our hearts in prayer. Father God, we thank you that we can worship you simply because you are God and you alone deserve to be worshipped. Lord, we unite our hearts in prayer this morning for our brother Nate. Continue to use him, Lord, as you have always been using him, more so now as he ministers to the young people. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And as you have spoken to him and continue to speak to him, Lord, now use him, Lord, to speak your word to us. And may your servants here be attentive to the message that you're bringing to us this morning. Guard this place, Lord God. Guard our hearts. Do not allow anything or anyone to distract or take away from our worship of you this morning. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nate? There you go. Okay. What is up? Good morning. Um, Y'all look nice today. Y'all look good. Really sharp. I like your style. Um, Well, today, um, if you are here for the first time, I would just want to get you up to speed and tell you that we are going through a series about knowing God, knowing God's attributes, knowing God's characteristics. Did I say that right? Really bad at pronunciation. But like, um, we're going through that series, and so far we've talked about um, God being holy and being almighty, being all-powerful and being all-knowing and stuff like that. But those are pretty big concepts, pretty high-up-there concepts. And what I'm going to talk about today is knowing God's grace. See, we have all these lofty and cosmic concepts, but now grace, God's grace is what brings it to ground. So I want to talk about that. And this message in particular is called, I chose to call it, the ransom, like what we sung before this. But before we dive into it, let's just go to God in prayer because you can't have enough prayer. Um, God, I lift up this entire time to you, and I pray that may you just speak through me smoothly, and may everything in this whole worship service go smoothly, and I pray that everything points solely to you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, let's get to it. So a little bit of word um, definition here. We have the word ransom because I'll be using this throughout the entire sermon. So it's very important that you know what the word ransom means. So what it means is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. If you guys notice, every single song, almost every single song we sang today talks about grace and it also talks about prisoners, people being set free. It's not a coincidence. And for today, you're actually getting a like two-for-one combo. You're getting a two-for-one combo type of message because we can't really talk about grace alone without talking about God's law with a capital L. Although in my PowerPoint, I failed to capitalize a couple of things, but like, it just looks better that way. Um, so <laughs> we're going to talk about God's law first and foremost. And when you hear the word law, the, the number one thing that usually comes to people's minds, especially Christians, is the Ten Commandments. It's like that's God's law, like God's law to his people. 
He brings us the Ten Commandments. And we'll be looking, first of all, in Exodus 20, 1 to 18. But we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to jump around at, like, what exactly are the Ten Commandments and jump right into it. Um, so this is what, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one. Number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here's where we jump. Um, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sorry. Oh. Honor your father and your mother the day that days that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Ten Commandments. See there's a very big problem when we usually read this passage. See, the fact of the matter is, like a lot of people, we are addicted to do lists. We're addicted. We, we have three steps to whiter teeth. We have five easy steps to a happy family. We have seven basic steps for your best life now. And we have 600 simple steps to finding the right girl. You know, like, it, it just gets, like, more and more complicated, right? <laughs> and if you follow that train of thought into this, now you have 10 steps to becoming a good Christian. And what we do is we check off boxes on a scale of 0 to 10 on how well we do all these commandments. And see, if you look at this as a to-do list, and you follow this train of thought, you're really going to need to commit to it. Like, seriously. Because later on, hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ comes down and just takes everyone to school. Like, breaks it down for everyone. Like, what this really means. And here's what he says. I'm getting a few excerpts from his Sermon on the Mount. He says this. This is Jesus talking, okay? Um, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Right? We read that just a while ago. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So it's not just killing someone physically, but just being angry with them counts as murder. You move down more. It says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her, in, with her in his heart. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's pretty tough, right? If this is the requirement, it's not just tough, it's impossible. See, what this says is that it just doesn't demand us to be obedient on the outside. 
what the law, what all of this is requiring of us, is to actually want to do it. Like deep down in your heart, you want to not commit adultery. You want to not be lustful. You want to not be angry the people around you. You want to legitimately want to love those around you. And if we go through this as a to-do list, I don't think I could check a single box on this. So I wish I could say I want to do these things all the time, but I can't. See, it demands inner obedience and not just outward obedience. There's a very big contrast between the desire to want to do so and feeling obligated that you have to do it. See, the motivation is different. So when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's actually not 10 steps on how to be a good Christian. It's actually 10 steps on how to be perfect, blameless, spotless. Because that's the thing. God only accepts perfection. He doesn't look at improvement. He doesn't look at your progress from being, like, when you look at it from a scale of 4 to 10, and now I'm in an 8 to 10, he doesn't look at that. What God looks for and what God demands of us is perfection. And the thing that this is supposed to do for us, when we look at the law, it shows us how painfully and incapable we are of fulfilling it, fulfilling God's very real and very, like, very real demand. And when you go through your Bibles, it is filled to the brim with people who could not pull it off. That's all the Bible is. It's a bunch of people, like, place these demands on, and they just can't fulfill it. They can't make it on their own. And I just want to plug in the youth series right now. Like, we're going through this series on the whole entire Bible, and it's called the whole entire Bible. We're going through the entire Bible, looking at their familiar Sunday school stories, and showing them that their Bible characters aren't the role models because just can't do it. They can't pull it off. But what they can't pull off, Jesus pulls off perfectly. See, the Bible's filled to the brim with people who could not pull it off. Um, just want to read to you this quote by uh, Pastor Tim Keller. He's a pastor up in New York, and he says this, Unless we see how helplessly and profoundly sinful we are, the message of salvation will not be exhilarating and it will not be liberating unless we see how big our debt is. We can't have any idea how big Christ's payment was. See, I don't want you guys to get this twisted. Jesus did not come here to take this requirement off, to take this demand off. It says in Matthew 5, 17, in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. I guess I didn't have the code on there. Okay, um, but here's the thing. By pointing out just how truly and genuinely sinful and wicked we are because that's what the law does. When you see how far you can't meet its demands, it points to how deeply sinful we really are. By pointing that out and how hilariously incapable we are of saving ourselves, 
of meeting God's perfect standard, what the law does is it points us to a savior beyond ourselves. Beyond ourselves. It reveals our desperate need for salvation through none other way than grace itself. I like how in Exodus 22, like 20 verse 2, um, this is the beginning where he gives us the Ten Commandments. But before he gives us these commandments, this is what God does for you. He reminds you of who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And see, here's the thing. What the law does for us is it, it enslaves us. We become slaves to the law, to these demands, these requirements. And see, if you live your life going through it as a to-do list of stuff that you need to do, you become enslaved to it. And here's the thing. If you are doing, you think you're doing such a good job at fulfilling the laws, it just makes you a good slave. Think about that. You're still a slave. You might be good at what you're doing, but what happens to good slaves? Not that you're still a slave. Like, you know, like it's, a, it's not a trick question. You know, like you're, you're just a good slave. And if anything, they give you more work. You're doing so well. Like, here's more work. Here's more. And it never ends. We never get to a point where we could say, this is good enough. Or I am good enough. We never get to that point when we follow that train of thought. So it points us to our need for salvation by grace. See, it says, um, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to see God's grace, look to Jesus. And so our main passage for today is actually in Luke, where we see one of Jesus' biggest acts of grace. And I like how this entire passage is called a sinful woman forgiven. Like any other like chapter, it has names on there, right? Like Jesus does this, Jesus teaches this. But like here it just says a sinful woman forgiven. And throughout the entire passage, it just refers to this woman as the sinful woman, you know? And apparently the reason for that is in the setting of the story, you didn't need to know her name because her reputation precedes her so much I don't even need to say her name. They say, oh, it's a sinful woman. They, they all know who that is. And then you'll see how that plays into this. So starting in verse 36. See, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, so I guess none of them were, right? When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this was you know who's touching him right now for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. you, know, like, you know. And he answered, say it, teacher. Say a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. 
Now, which one of them will love him more? So Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we talk about grace. We use a lot of words. There's a lot of different versions of grace. We have, you know, crowd favorite, unmerited favor. But I want to introduce you other concepts. I want to call it an absurd gift. It's an offensive gesture. And sometimes we can call it unconditional love. See, I say it's offensive. I say it's absurd. Because here's the thing. If we're not genuinely offended, even a little bit, by the concept of grace, then maybe we're preaching the wrong kind. Because it is offensive. It is absurd because we so often use ourselves as a standard. You know, some of us feel more deserved to get grace than other people. And it's a sickness. We all have this sickness because we often use ourselves as a standard. So what does this look like, right? Okay, say you're driving on the freeway. And when you're driving and someone is driving slower than you, they're stupid. Like, they don't know what they're doing. They have absolutely no clue what they're doing if they're driving slower than you. But when someone starts driving faster than you, he's a maniac. Like, what, what is he doing? Like, you know, it, you always use yourself as a standard to compare other people to. I want to use this illustration next for those who don't drive. So, like, you know, the youth, like, when you play a video game, you know, anyone who's worse than you is a noob. If, if someone is better than you, they have no life. Like, that's how we look at people. Like, that's how... That's just how we illustrate. Like, we use ourselves as the standard. It's, it's always my performance versus their performance, you know? And this is where grace seems ridiculous because it doesn't depend on your performance. It doesn't depend on how lovely or loving you are. It depends solely on how much God loves you. And while I was preparing for this message, I stumbled upon a song. I really appreciate music. I just can't, you know, execute it that well. I can't, like, play instruments or sing. And so this song that I saw throughout the week, I will have to read to you. If you know this song, feel free to join in and um, sing along with me. But I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it. (laughs) 
See, unlike, unlike some other pastors who feel they know how to sing, I, I can admit that <laughs> I can't sing, you know. <laughs> yeah, drop the mic. Okay, okay. Uh, that's why I envy Pastor Insong, just because, like, he's the guy, like, he has, like, I have a song I can share with you. He just, like, sings right here. Like, you know, easy transition, like, no problem whatsoever. But here's a song I want to share with you. Um, it goes a little like this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, although loneliness has always been a friend of mine, I'm leaving my life in your hands. People say I'm crazy and that I am blind, risking it all in a glance. And how you got me blind is still a mystery. I can't get you out of my head. Don't care what is written in your history as long as you're here with me. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me, who you are, where you're from, don't care what you did, as long as you love me. And I want to say two things, right? Like right now, I just want to say two things about this song. I am willing to bet that none of you came to church today expecting to hear a Backstreet Boys song. Like, none of you were going to church like, oh, I might hear a Backstreet Boys song. Like, nobody came in today thinking that. The second thing I want to say is that when you read these lyrics, it sounds a lot like unconditional love, right? Except it isn't. Because at the very end of it, there's still one condition. It's like, okay, I don't care where you're from, what you did, but then you got to love me. You know, and even that, like, even just that concept, like, this wasn't written by Jesus. This wasn't written by Paul or David. This isn't a Psalm of David. This is written by the Backstreet Boys, okay? Like, by human standards, this is pretty ridiculous. Like, I can't say these things. Like, you know, I don't know if you're a serial killer, like, what you did in your past. Like, well, as long as you love me. Like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm cool with that. Like, you know, you can't, I can't say that. Like, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Like, by human standards, this is, this is insane. Because every time we encounter people, we always have this list of qualifications we put them against to. And based off how much they meet off of that, it decides how we treat them. But here's where the message of the gospel takes it a step further. It goes, it just goes off without the final requirement. Like, even when we fail to love Christ all the time, his love for us never fails. So even in a Backstreet Boys song, you could find the gospel. How crazy is that? See, grace, it disrupts our sense of righteousness. It disrupts our sense of deservedness, whether we feel we deserve good or bad. See, there's this really popular, um, you know, parable that Jesus shared. It's, you know, you might have heard of it, the prodigal son. And when we read it, we like to think that we are the prodigal son, like we are the ones who experience God's grace and we enjoy it. But the more I look at my own heart, I actually identify myself more with the older brother, you know, just like moping on the side, like judging his dad for not giving him a goat to party with with his boys. Like I identify myself more 
with the elder brother because I feel I deserve a little bit more grace. I feel I deserve a go-to party with my boys. Like, you know, like I identify with him, with him more. And even in the story of the sinful woman, we like to think that we are that sinful one who found grace and enjoys grace all the time. But in reality, a lot of times we're more like Simon. See, his problem in this was that he thought that he's not that bad. He's not that bad of a person. You know, so Jesus has to come to my house because I'm not like the rest of you guys. You know, like we have this sense of entitlement and we feel we're not too bad at all. That's why we need the law to show us exactly how bad we are. See, the way we see this, especially in the church setting, is that when people mess up, we tend to give non-believers more slack than Christians, like, you know, the proclaimed Christians. We become ruthless when it comes to our brothers in the faith. Like, one small slip-up it's just like bombarding them, like what, what you should be doing. Like, you know, you got to get off that. Like, we cut non-believers so much slack, but we fail to show that grace to our brothers, our sisters in the church. Because we feel we have the right to do so because we don't think we're as bad as that. And I want to look at this from the other side. Maybe you don't feel you're that right or you're that in such a good spot? Like, what if you're coming from and you're thinking to yourself, I have fallen so far back. How can I ever get back to that? I want to share with you my own parable. It's called the parable of Tuesday night teaching, okay? Like, the origin of, <laughs> the origin of our Tuesday Bible study was this. Um, me and Adrian and a couple other boys who will not mention to be Timmy Nolan and Dino Perez. We're all just gathering in this one spot and we were exhausted. We've grown up in church almost our entire lives and we were exhausted. And with our current lifestyles in that moment, the thought that like prevented us from coming back to God was that we We've fallen so far back. I mean, I used to cry at retreats for crying out loud. How could I ever get back to being that type of Christian? That's what stopped us from ever going back because we thought we could never get back to that. And it wasn't until we realized what God's grace meant and how that sets you free that we found new meaning. We found a reason to go back. We actually didn't go back. God found us in that moment. And one of the things that really stood out to me in that time was this concept, this um, thought that Dino shared with us. He says, when I finally realized what grace meant, these songs have different meanings now. The song he talked about was that, you know, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I thought to myself, that's true. You know, when you realize how much grace you've been shown, everything just pales in comparison. See, um, our normal mindset isn't to embrace grace. 
our normal mindset is to try and earn it, you know? And a lot of times, you know, as Christians, like when we realize we're sinners or we sinned, our first response isn't really to run into the loving arms of Jesus. That's not, that's not our natural response. What we try to do most of the time is try to earn back that. And so the easiest illustration I could possibly give you is for guys, you know, it's going to be straight with you. It's, it's pornography. It's lust. And so the way we do this, we try to come clean to God by saying like, oh, you know what, just I'm going to try and do it, like not do it for as long as I can. And then after I build up that many points, I can start praying again. I can start doing my quiet time again and just start building up this momentum. And then maybe at that point, I could come to God again. You know, like we try to earn it. And I'm not sure what the female counterpart of that is. Maybe it's like buying a pair of shoes you knew you weren't supposed to buy. It's like, oh my God, I just got to have it. Like, I don't know what the female version of that is, but, you know, that's what we do. We try to earn back that right to go to God. See, many times we look to the law, we look to this to-do list to save us. We come up with this sin is to obedience exchange rate. Like, if I do this type of sin, I got to do five quiet times to cover that up, you know. Once I cover that up, I I can go to God again. I can start asking God for stuff. That doesn't exist. It's all us. Like, we, we believe that. We firmly believe that. But then here's God proclaiming freedom to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. And here we are living like slaves. See, our one of our biggest problems is that we exchange the law with grace. We look to the law to do what only grace can do. And let me just break it down really quickly for you guys. The difference between the two. See, the law exposes unrighteousness, but it is powerless to produce righteousness. The law can inflict guilt, but it can never inspire us to obey. The law can reveal our sin, but it cannot redeem us. The law makes the demands and grace fulfills it perfectly. That's the difference between law and grace. And I have fallen into the trap of exchanging it way too often. A lot of times I feel that when I see my brother in trouble and sin, I got to just keep on like throwing all the right things you need to do at him. If you don't do this, you're dumb. You know, like, just keep telling him what he should be doing, what he shouldn't be doing, and that's enough to change his heart. But that is not true. Only thing that could change a person's heart is the grace of God. See, what the law does is it breaks us into humility. And there's a very distinct difference between shame and humility. Let me give you this illustration. The first time I ever failed my board exam for nursing, um, I, uh, I, I didn't go home. I slept over at my friend uh, Dion's house, and I just stayed there, you know, and then, like, the next day, I went back to face my parents, and then I thought, like, oh, when I go back, they'll, they'll embrace me with loving arms. It's like, it's okay. Like, you know, there's still another chance, and then I walk into my house. My mom sees me, and she's like, why didn't you come home? What's wrong with you? And I, I, like, I, like, I tried to, like, cl- cry one tear and just, like, oh, you guys, like, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, Mom, I, I hate to break it to you, but um, 
I failed my test, so I felt, you know, I felt ashamed to, uh, you know, show myself up. And <laughs> I thought, like, oh, this is it. This is where she, like, comforts me and, like, tells me, like, you know, all this. No. Like, she goes, like, you know what? Like, that's not shame. That's pride. I was like, I feel the exact opposite of pride right now. I feel pretty, like, you know, pretty bad about myself. <laughs> so I, I can't say this is pride, but, like, when she broke it down for me, she says this. It's pride because you only want to show yourself when stuff's going great. But when stuff goes wrong, you go into hiding. So I realize it is. There's a very big difference between shame and humility. See, grace, thank God, is a gift that depends solely and entirely on the giver. See, in 2 Corinthians um, 5.21, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is where Jesus becomes our ransom. And Jesus did not become our ransom so we can just mess it all up all over again. He also didn't become a ransom so that we can do better this time around. You know, to, to progress. You know, like God didn't give himself up for that. See, if, if his basis of, you know, righteousness was progression and improvement, he wouldn't have commended the sinful woman. He would have praised Simon, like, oh my gosh, Simon, when I first saw you, you were a mess, but now you're doing fine. Like, he would have said that, but then that is not the basis for grace. It depends solely on the giver. God did not become our ransom to pat us on the back for doing so well. It's not what he came here for. He came exactly here because we couldn't pull it off. We're not doing so hot ourselves. But he did become our ransom to bear our punishment, to bestow on us perfect righteousness. What does that look like? There's this illustration that I, I heard from a, another pastor. It's called the flash drive illustration. Everybody know what a flash drive is, a USB flash drive? Are you cool on that? Okay. Um, so here's the thing. Imagine when you get to heaven, there's this flash drive that has everything you've ever done, everything you ever thought of, everything you've ever said, it's on that flash drive. And when you get to heaven, God's going to play that flash drive for everyone to see, right? That's a pretty scary thought. Just imagine me having that flash drive right now and then playing it on the screen. How horrified would you be if you knew everything ever done, everything ever said, everything ever thought of will be shown right here? I don't think anyone would stay in the room, right? Like, it would just be like empty. I'll be talking to myself. I'll probably leave too because, like, you'll see what I did. And it's like, it's horrifying. And this is what God placing righteousness on us is. Through and in Jesus Christ, when they play your flash drive, our flash drive. It's just going to show Jesus' perfect life on there. That's what his imposing righteousness on us is. It's not our own. It's God's, it's Jesus' righteousness, and we get to share in that. See, um, the right formula to this is it's law plus grace 
this law with even more grace. See, the law needs to crush us so that grace can heal us. It's going to be painful, no doubt about that. It's going to involve a whole lot of dying to yourself, dying to your pride, dying to your self-righteousness, your self-deservedness. It's going to be painful. He's going to pluck away at the things you thought gave you value. He's going to take that away. You can't bank on anything until all that's left is Jesus, and he's the only one you could bank on. That's what happens. See, and, and it changes us. In Luke 7, 47, he says this, Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, by the way, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See, through the law, we realize how much we've truly been forgiven. How much? And this is what this does. Jesus paid the precious price so that we could be free to forgive and ask forgiveness. See, that's what it's all about. Like, you realize there's nothing you can defend anymore. You don't have to defend your identity because your identity rests solely on the finished work of Christ. So you're free to forgive. You're free to ask for forgiveness. We can afford it because Christ paid for it. I just want to share with you um, this quote and what this actually looks like. Um, you know, when Paul, like in his ministry, he planted a lot of churches and he wrote to them constantly. And whenever his church is going AWOL and just like messing up, this is how he confronts it. This is how he approaches it. You know, Paul started by reminding them of who God is and what he's done in Jesus and who they were in light of that. His work in Christ grants us a new identity and this new identity leads to a, to a whole new way of living. He doesn't tell them what they're doing wrong. He tells them, remember the God who saved you from slavery. Why are you acting like slaves? See, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come. See, this, um, this right here, knowing God's grace for it, it gives us a brand new way to look at the law. It's the same law we talked about in the beginning. It's still, you know, the same list of things, but no, it doesn't make it a more sanctified to-do list. It's not that. Here's the illustration I come up with. I've been waiting so long until I share this with you. Okay. Here is the gospel. Imagine the gospel as a sandwich, right? You have the first piece of bread in the bottom. Now that's the law. What that does is it shows you how sinful you are and how much you need grace. And so the middle of the sandwich is the meat, right? Whatever type of sandwich you're getting, like, you know, it's the meat in the middle. And that meat is grace. You know, you, you see the law, you see how sinful you are, and then grace rescues you and heals you. But then you can't call it a sandwich when there's only one piece of bread, right? You need another piece of bread at the top. So that same piece of bread, that loaf, that bread that came from the same loaf, 
is again the law. But now, because of grace, you're able to look at it brand new. I'm not going to follow the law because I'm obligated to or I'm going to use that to earn God's grace. I already have God's grace. I'm going to follow the law because I want to enjoy God's grace. I want to enjoy my relationship with Jesus. Because he gives us this, not because, you know, he wants to kill our fun. Like, he's doing this because he's like, I got something perfect for you, something beautiful for you, and this is how you enjoy it. And you're free to enjoy it. You're not chained, you're not slaves anymore. You're free to enjoy this. Of course, if you just have, like, you know, two breads and meat, it's not really much of a sandwich, right? Like, yeah, it's a poor excuse for a sandwich. But, like, what we usually do is we add condiments to it. Like, we add ketchup, mustard, whatever it is, right, to add flavor to it. Now, that condiment's like, you can look at it as Bible study, going to church, singing praise and worship song. It adds to that fundamental relationship you have with Jesus. And the biggest mistake we have is that when people ask us why we're a Christian, is we tell them, we go to Bible study, we go to small group, we go to church. And what that looks like is this. Say you go to In-N-Out, because it's the best burger place ever. Don't get it twisted. Not Five Guys. Like, okay. Um, sorry. If anyone's a fan of Five Guys, like, you know, deal with it. No, I'm gonna, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Say you go to an In-N-Out, you open up all, like, the ketchups and mustards in the place, and just start, like, drinking all of it, right, for lunch. And then you go out, you go back to work, and then your friends go up to you, like, hey, man, what'd you have for lunch? Oh, man, I had an In-N-Out burger. Like, you know, that's how ridiculous it is. Eating all the condiments and then telling people, you had a sandwich. It is not these things that makes you a Christian. It is not these things that say you have a personal relationship with Jesus. It is your fundamental understanding of how sinful and wicked we really are and realizing how much we've truly been forgiven. See, true spiritual growth It's not us needing a whole lot of grace in the beginning, and then as we progress, we start needing it less and less. It's not it. True spiritual growth is an increasing realization of how much you really do need grace. See, as I move forward, I don't think of myself as a better person, really. If anything, every day I become more and more aware of how deeply sinful I am that even the best things that I could possibly do are stained with sin. And that is why I need the precious blood of Jesus to wash it all away.